I'm back. Uh, The scripture today is from Luke. It's on page 6 in your bulletin. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, 11 through 32. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Such a uh, privilege for me to continue to open God's word these, these past weeks and uh, coming a couple of weeks. Uh, we've been looking at what it means for us as a church to be a peacemaking community. Uh, last week we did look at how we are to encourage one another, those who believe in Jesus Christ as saints. This week we want to look at what it means through this parable, through this story here, to respond to the Father's mercy, because it's God who extends his overwhelming, overwhelming mercy to sinners. You know, when Jesus was on earth, he knew what was in the hearts of men, and he knew that he had to deal with people ever so skillfully, truly, and most of all, with mercy, the very mercy of God. So Luke records here 
Jesus' interaction with tax collectors, sinners, Pharisees, and the teachers of the law. And he invites them to respond to God's mercy so that they would know the joy of the Lord. Most of us understand the challenge, don't we, of being joyful in the face of sorrow and what it means to have the challenge of still remaining hopeful when we grieve. But the lesson that Jesus teaches us here today through this parable, this well-known parable, is he helps us to understand how we are to respond to God's loving kindness. The Father, God the Father, how we are to respond to his loving kindness in various situations and circumstances that we face from day after day. As we prepare to take a look at this story, let's pray first. Lord Jesus, thank you. You are, you are holy, and you point us to the Father. Thank you for bringing us into a relationship with him. We pray that you would give us new eyes to see and new ears to hear what you have for us in this portion of your word, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, growing up, it was a common practice with my mom and my aunt to pile all their kids into a car to go to town. You see, I grew up in a small town, and so to, to go to a bigger town was a big deal. And so all the kids wanted to go. And so, you know, it, it was hard for me because I was a, a single child. I was raised, raised up in a single parent home up until I was 14. And so there I was, only child, here with my cousins, three younger and one older, piled in the car with our mummies, my mom and my aunts, as they were trying to foster some type of togetherness, uh, attempting to have us all together in a joyful way. I just didn't want the dissatisfaction and discomfort of being cramped in the car with my cousins. It was overwhelming, so no matter how joyful we started out on our journey, it always... <laughs> always ending up becoming mad and angry by the end of the trip. On one occasion, you know, I must have been around seven or eight. Uh, I had a small can of Vienna sausages. Some of you guys don't know what those are, but some of you do. Small little can of these things. I enjoy eating them uh, from time to time. And on this particular day, I was hungry. I still remember the hunger pains in my gut, even now as I talk about it. I was hungry, so hungry that they tasted like the best thing ever, even better than Spam. <laughs> I, so I got down to two last sausages in the can, those tiny little sausages, and one of my cousins asked me to share with her. And so I gave her half of one of the sausages, and I ate the other half. There's no way I was going to, you know, share a full one with her, especially not my last one. But before I could turn around and look back at that small can of goodness, my other cousin, her brother, had reached into the can, pulled out my last one, and popped it in his mouth. It was like a flash. And, I, you know, have you ever been so surprised, so disappointed, and upset all at the same time? You know, it's like, do I cry? Do I not cry? I don't know. So I said, 
to, to them. I said, this is my last one, and I wanted it. I'm hungry. I'm so hungry. They laughed, and it was somewhat funny to me, too. You know, it, that he would have the audacity to finish off my delicious meal. So I wanted to be mad all day, and at, and at the same time, I knew it was a quite clever move, for he was hungry, too. You know, all of us, in some time of our lives, we've been in a place in life where, where we've been uh, in a refusal, where we've refused to celebrate, when all of those around us are overwhelmed with joy. You know, what will compel us at times when this happens to begin to drop our pride and to, and to face our deepest fears and to enable us to respond to the Father with humility? Now, Jesus, in this shocking parable, answers these questions for, for us. And that's why I believe he's writing uh, through Luke here how God does extend his overwhelming mercy to sinners. Sinners are those who miss the mark of God's grace. They're those who disobey the word of God. They're those who do not know God or those who are saved and still recognize that God is not finished with us yet, meaning He's working out our salvation in Christ. And so here we see right here in verses 1 through 3 that Jesus is having a discussion with known sinners, tax collectors, and sinners. They're gathered around him to listen to him. But in in contrast to their disposition, we have the posture of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They murder against Jesus. Uh, And his friends, they grumbled and complained in their hearts. Who is this man? They criticized him. Who is this man who welcomes sinners and eats with them? To to have a meal with someone was a big deal. Your identity is part of who they are. And so the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they had in their own minds a definition of what sinners meant. You know, then their minds... There are people who fell short of the glory of God as well. But sinners in their minds were people who did not keep the law and did not keep the interpretations of the law like they did. Those are sinners. People who were known for living a a licentious lifestyle. They were sinners. So it was us against them. And by, by the very nature of the Pharisees' definition, they were not. Because they did all that they could to live upstanding and right, thinking that that was the way to God. Thinking that their religion was the only way to God. Keeping every dot of the law, crossing every T. But in their righteousness, it was self-righteous. It didn't have anything to do with the righteousness of God. So all others were considered dead to them and not alive lost and not capable of being found unless they get with their program. So Jesus is sitting with these two types of people that are in polar opposite of each other and then there arose a need for them to see the grace of God, you know, to really believe what Jesus has to offer, his favor through what he would accomplish. For anyone that are not religious and those that are are and believe that it's through religion that we have life with God, you know, both are in need of God's grace. Those who believe that it's their way and those who just don't want to have anything to do with God, both are in need of God's grace. 
So we're all in the same boat. The tax collectors and the sinners need Jesus and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they need him as well. So this parable before us, though, has three episodes, one for each character that I want to focus on here today. So I want to just walk through it with you because I believe this, you know, in light of God's overwhelming mercy towards sinners, Jesus teaches and invites us through this parable to return to the Father's care. He teaches us and invites us to receive the Father's embrace. And he teaches and invites us to rejoice with the Father because of his saving grace. So in the first part of this parable, Jesus tells the story of how this younger son, better known as a prodigal, someone who lives an extravagant life while living, so this, he, he tells the story of how this younger son decides to turn to his father's care. So he said there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So this is what the father did. He decided to go ahead and divide his property between them. The surprising request of the younger son is indeed shocking, Right? Because before his father passes away, he demands his share of the estate. The actions of the younger son communicates his rashness and his disposition towards his father. One theologian notes that the the son's request is equivalent to a wish that his father was dead. And that his father responds as an almost, you know, it's almost inconceivable expression of patience and love. The father indeed does become dead to the son, and the son is dead to the father. But the father acquiesces to the younger son's request. He he divides his estate. So it's likely that the younger son received about a third of the estate of his inheritance, which would then do at his father's passing, but he wanted it now. The older son will receive more, about two-thirds of the property, a double portion for him. The older son would have owned the title to all that the father had and received it upon the father's death. So we see here in verse 13 now, a few days later, not long after that, after the son went to the father, the younger son got all that he had together and he set off for a distant, distant country all the way away from his father and from his family, from his inheritance place, place of inheritance. And there he squandered his wealth and wild living. Now the text doesn't say what he was doing. Uh, the older brother definitely has his own interpretation of what he was doing. But nonetheless, he was in wild living. He was anxious to take off. So can't you envision the son? Plenty of money in his pocket. And he's thinking, I want to get as far away from home as possible. I want to be my own man. I want to live my own life. I want to do what I want to do. So he wasted his wealth, though, as the text says, on wild living. All that he had was gone in an instant. You know, you've heard the story of those who win the lottery really quickly. Most of those people because they come from places of poverty, end up spending that money, going through it rather quickly. Some invest, but most of them go through it quickly. That's the view here. The son, 
has spent all that he had in following this new lifestyle, this new path of life. On top of that, the text tells us that when he was in this land, there was a severe famine, not just any famine, but the whole country was going through a severe famine, a drought, no water, no food. The unemployment rate just skyrocketed. Of course, at this point, in a place of nothing, there's great need. The desperation for the basic necessity for life begins to grow, and he begins to be in need. So what will he do? Verse 15, what will he do? Well, in that distant country where he had nothing and everyone around him was suffering loss, the younger son thought of a plan. I will hire myself out to someone in this country. It, was, it wasn't in his first mind to return home. It was, I got to make it work. So he hired himself out to a citizen where he was sent to feed the pigs. So in the ears of the listeners of this parable, they know this is a no-no. Because from Deuteronomy 14, we know that a pig is unclean for the Israelites and not fit for eating. But in his desperation, he turned into, it turned into an overwhelming desire for him. His hunger pains intensified. He longed to fill this stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. He hit his rock bottom. And now we see the younger son. He's destitute. He's desperate. And he's discarded. No one gave him anything. So what do you do now? Those that you once splurged with are not nowhere to be around. They too are going through the famine, the drought of life. This is a wake-up call. And so he has an aha moment. He comes to his senses. And he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? More than enough. But I perish here with hunger. I'm starving to death. He remembered the goodness and the loving kindness of his father. Even his servants, the father's hired servants, had plenty, but he had nothing. So he decided, this is what I do. I rise up and I go to my father's and I say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Make me as a slave, at least I'll be in your house experiencing your goodness, your kindness. Because this life, being far from you, is not worth it. He planned his return home and how he would face his father. In his heart, he saw how unworthy he was to be called a son. Matter of fact, he lost his sonship. He was remorseful, at least, and decided to attempt to appeal to his father's kindness. So he got up and went to his father. The father's light was the brightest in this younger son's midst of darkness. He remembered. He spent all his inheritance and livelihood. Everything was gone. Even desiring the piggy food, he remembered. In my father's house, there's abundance for me, even as a servant. So, all hope is lost. And there is a father to return to. Thank God there is. And God has made this clear 
about his people and what they do from time to time. From Jeremiah 2.13, that God's people have committed two sins. The first sin, they've forsaken me, God says, the spring of living water. And the second thing that they've done, they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Gone away from God, turned away from his father, and yet dug a cistern that cannot even hold water. The water is not to be drank. Animals are found in it at times. Not good for anyone, and it can't hold water. Maybe some, some of you are in this place now. Some of you have been running and running as far as God as possible. You grew up learning all about the mercy of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You may have even participated in church life in your upbringing. Now you're here thinking, I want to give God another try. But I have lived in so many ways on my own. Standing up for myself, how will God come through for me? I'm not sure that I can trust him. Others of you may be like the younger son, too. You've made a mess of your life. You have spent your last on your own popularity and influence. You've come to the end of your rope, and you are destitute like he became. You're desperate. You feel discarded by people, even your own family and, and just your friends. God is here for you, and he has not stopped extending his fatherly care. Will you return to him today? Will you respond to him today? Um, you may have made up in your mind today. You recognize that at least the father's servants have more than enough provision and hope in their lives. You remember, in essence, the, the words from King David in Psalm 37, 25. I was a young man, and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Are their children begging for bread? So no matter where you are, God extends his hands of mercy to you that you may respond to his care and come back to him today. That's what God wants. He invites us to come with heartfelt sorrow to come to him and with an inward turning away from that which doesn't satisfy to those things that bring death to our lives. He wants us to seek his forgiveness. And he wants it to be manifested in our lives. That people may truly see that there's a light in you. Based on the change that he can cause you. So as for many, the option was ever before the younger son to repent. To return home. And God descends the same mercy to all sinners. In the depth of their wickedness, they may confess their sins wrongdoings at any time and turn to God in deep sorrow for sin. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is teaching us through this parable to not only return to the Father's care, but also to receive the Father's embrace. What will compel us to receive all that the Father has? Well, it's his compassion. So at this point in the story, the younger son has traveled the long distance back home. The familiarity alone could have been enough to ground him, returning back. The closer he got, the closer in to that home country, he felt the burden lifting. 
He would have rehearsed many times the speech that he wanted to make to his father. You see there in verse 20, but while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran, the father ran to his son, threw his arms around him, kissing, kissing him on the neck. Because his father had been looking for him all this time, day by day, looking for his son, wondering, worrying, where is he, how is he doing? It's not like they had what we have now, right? They did not have cell phones and the internet. They didn't have all these things. And so the yearning of the father looking, waiting for his son was intense. So hoping to, to see him upon the horizon. So he did. The, the shape of his body, the gait of his walk, any sign that his, turn is re, that his son is returning home. So even... You know, the father, any father during this time, it wasn't likely that they would run. You know, it wasn't the respectful thing to do. It wasn't the etiquette of the day for a father to pick up his, his garment and begin to run towards his son. But he does this. He, he ran to him. He embraced his son. The father gave him a kiss. He held him. And I always wonder how long you know, could he have held him in his arms? The long embrace is indicative about how the father already began to extend his forgiveness to his son. That will bridge the gap right there. It has to be forgiveness coming from the heavenly father so that we would know his embrace. So from this story, it appears that the son was concerned about how he shamed his father. He wanted to make it right. He wanted to declare how unworthy he is to share the father's name. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy. The father allowed him to speak those words. True confession of a young man that's bonded. He must have found it difficult, though, to receive the father's embrace because he recognized that I'm no longer a son. I've taken my inheritance. I've gone away. But immediately, you know, the thoughts must have come through his head as he faced the father. Just like when we bombed it with each other, we face each other, the shame, the regret. It's hard, isn't it? To face each other when we know we've disappointed each other. Hard to face that. And so he does. The father covers him immediately with his presence. Though the father's action towards him, he, you know, he, he, the father moves towards him and he could never, ever be a servant, never, ever be a slave because we see this overwhelming love of the father. He's only a son to the father. That's it. He had returned home. The fa- he's in the father's presence. The father's overjoyed and it stands evidence of the deepest forgiveness and reinstatement. The son doesn't finish all that he has to say or wants to say. Did you notice? He didn't say, make me like one of your hired servants. Why? Because the father interrupts him. Quick, quick, bring the best robe, the long robe, and put it on him, the beautiful robe. Quick, 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 put a ring on his fingers, declaring he's somebody, he's a son, he has an identity. Quick, bring the sandals for his feet. It's the servants that walk bare feet. 
Not the son. The son wears sandals. Quit bringing the fattened calf, the wheat fed calf, the one that we bring out for the biggest celebrations that we have. Bring out the fattened calf and kill it. Quickly, the father covers him with nothing but grace upon grace. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. Let's party. Is what the father is saying. He's hosting a party here. Why was this celebration so significant? The father tells us. Verse 24 right here. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Music, dancing, eating the finest of food, the best of everything. The father brings out the best of everything for his son. His compassion towards his wayward son. He, he has forgiveness. He brings him back into his full status as a son with all the markings of a son. And that's what he gives. He reinstates his sonship. The father proclaims this. He's back. He's alive. No longer dead. He's found. And they begin to celebrate this. You know, I, I uh, had a friend who reminds me of this son. And there are many of us, even today, that may have been like this son. But her story is interesting because it hit close to home for me in knowing her. Someone who went through a, a drought in her walk with God, wrestling with the things of the world, wrestling with her sexuality. And she decided, I'm done. All these books, Pilgrim's Progress, all these commentaries, all these other Christian books, they're going in the trash. She threw them all away, not want to be left. And she moved away from the city where we were living to another city. And there she indulged in a different lifestyle than she had before, running away from a heavenly father. The thing that brought her back is she saw that that life wasn't worth living at all. That in their life, there, there was a lot of heartbreak. That there were people who just wanted to, that wanted to use her, not love her. She missed the Father's loving kindness. And she came back through the assistance of somebody in her life. She came back to her Father. She repented. She turned. She allowed the embrace of his compassion to be all over her. So Jesus is sharing that, hey, look, it's time to celebrate. This son that was lost, he's found, he's home again. Will we celebrate with him? Will we move into this place where we will embrace what the Father has for us? How is God showing his compassion in your life right now? Do you recognize it? Do you accept it? Do you relish in the forgiveness that he's giving you, knowing that, we're not worthy, but it's because of his intervention through Christ in our lives. It's too good to be true. But will we know his celebration? Will we have the freedom of his joy? Because the father lavishes his love on the son and goes to the greatest length to extend his reconciling love. And God extends the same mercy to all people. Not one is exempt. However undeserving, he is generously extravagantly 
compassionate and forgiveness, forgiving of all sins if we will receive it. Here is the merciful invitation. Return to the Father's care. Receive the Father's embrace. And lastly and quickly, rejoice in the Father's saving grace. The younger son returns and he receives these things. All are invited to rejoice in the Father's saving grace. Up to this point, the story has been about the younger son, but there's an older brother here as well. And Jesus turns our attention to him, and we see him in the field working. It's his estate. It's his father's estate. He stayed with the family. He came home from work, and there's a party at his house. Can you imagine that? You come home, and, and there's a party going on. You don't understand why there's a party. You used to know everything that's going on, and it's like, you hear this music, and there's a party. All the best things are out. For who? Who is this for? So when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. He heard the merrymaking. So it was, so he called to one of the, the voice servants, and he asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he got him back safe and sound. In that moment, it appears that the servant shared in the father's rejoicing. But how does the son reply? The older son becomes angry and he refuses to go in. This makes sense, doesn't it? He was hurt too at the son's departure. After all of that the younger son has done, you know, wouldn't you be in this place? Disrespecting the father, wishing that he was dead by asking for your inheritance, defaming the name of the family, the older son's name as well. But what does his father do? His father moves towards him. The father moves towards the older brother. He goes out and pleads with him. The father reasons with him. The older brother is stuck in his self-righteousness and stands there. The father pleads the case. Look, all these years, well, the, the brother, the older brother says this, actually, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and you never, ever rewarded me. You didn't give me anything for me and my friends to celebrate. So we see his disposition of heart here. It's all about him. It's all about what he wants. So he distanced himself from the father. He even says, but when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. You feel the distance. And he places himself on equal footing with the father. So the brother really shows that he's in the same place as his younger brother. He's in need of the father's grace, too. He's in need of the father's restoration. He's short-sighted about himself and his own sins. But would he come in at the father's request? The text falls silent. We don't know what happens with the older brother. We don't know if he goes in or not. But the invitation is there, as one scholar put it. Even as an older brother should not have begrudged his brother's reinstatement, but rather rejoice in it, 
So those who claim to be God's people should be glad and not mad that he extends his grace even to the most undeserving sinner. So this is about Jesus and the cross. This is about God's mercy. This is about his invitation invitation to rejoice in what he is doing in the world, in people's lives that really don't deserve it. Titus 3, 5 through 7 states, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated, and hated one another. This is who we were. Those who are saints, this is who we were. But God, but when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life, co-heirs with Christ. That's who we are, children of God. Jesus, the master teacher, lays it out that we are invited to the party, that we are part of it based on what God has done. Let us go in with all the gladness we can muster. Let us cast off the pride and the self-righteousness. Let us return to the Father's care and embrace all that he has for us, all his goodness, and let us rejoice with him together, making glad our hearts because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. He sealed the deal for us. God gave us all through Jesus so that we would know he's serious about us having a party. So let's celebrate. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for these words. God, Thank you for being with us, reminding us, Father, of your disposition towards us and how you love us so. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.